Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Ed, West Mitchell, Chris Clark along with you. And if you're watching on the game TV, you could see Wes struggling to set up his microphone. These are the things that people now get to witness us doing before we turn on the microphones. It, it's a great glimpse behind the curtain. I'm just glad they can't hear my language. How do you know they can't? Well, I was told they can't. <laughs> they, they, when the microphones are not on, they cannot hear us. Okay. So you're thanks, okay. Thanks to our friends at Integrated Media. Absolutely. They, they protect us from that. Absolutely. Yes. But you can see uh, Wes's frustration in high quality now. <laughs> in beautiful HD. That's right. Um, uh, we've obviously talked a lot about the, the national championship game. We can certainly dive into the, more of that. As the uh, as that rolls along, but for the first time in a couple of days, a little bit quiet on the the portal front for South Carolina. They brought in what four guys on on last Thursday that Chris and I talked about on Friday, and brought in a, a slew of guys over the weekend as well that we spent plenty of time talking about yesterday. But a little bit of a of a quieter day uh, last night at least, and uh, it, it kind of begs the question to me. And I had a lot of people asking this yesterday on the text line. We didn't get to it, you know, kind of how many more spots can South Carolina add? What what other areas? Obviously, no quarterback being one of them needing to add to there, but, um, you know, there is a limit on scholarships, and, and you know, where does South Carolina stand with balancing all that and, and what can be left to be added to this team via the portal? Yeah, I hate that question because it used to be, used to be a very important question that involved um, – an actual separate math class at the University of South Carolina for you to to figure it all out because <laughs> you had you know you had blue shirting and gray shirting and mm. who's counting back and well how many people did you count back last year that didn't actually count towards that class and you know it, it was almost impossible to to keep up with that stuff then and, and now you know, it's a little bit easier on, on that end because you don't you don't have this twenty five limit anymore. That that was the one that really involved the applied mathematics was just that there was so much that went into it. Now, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, Chris, but it doesn't matter much. Not not much because there there will be transfers out after the spring. Like you, you don't know who they're going to be, but. And maybe internally you do maybe have an idea of, well, if this guy doesn't step up, that guy doesn't step up, they're probably going to go ahead and leave too. So, you know, yeah, you, you can look at Brian Shoemaker's handy Gamecock Central scholarship chart. Which I do. And uh, it, it'll give you an idea. But at the same time, you really these days, you keep mm-hmm. taking players until, you know, until you get stopped basically. And – you know, I, I think, really, I look at it like, what other needs do they need to fill? So, for me, quarterback, obviously you're going to add another quarterback, so that's one guy. And then, you know, I, I think you sort of look at receiver, and you say, obviously they're going to try to take another receiver, whether it's now or later. So there's two guys. And then, 
there's always a guy or two that can just pop up, like a position or two that can just pop up. So I, I would say conservatively they're going to take at least three more guys as a transfer. But whenever you say that, you can almost just add one to it just because. So I don't know, three, four, something like that. What do you think of that, Chris? Yeah, I agree. And, and by the way, I'm glad that we're past – you know, we, we still do do red shirts, right? But generally, blue shirt, gray shirt, I'm probably not going to see that much nowadays. Wait, wait, no, now, what was the blue shirt one? I'm okay. not as familiar with that All one. right, so the, the blue shirt is when you would not sign. Okay. And then you would enroll before the preseason, and that would allow you to count forward to the next class. Okay. And so that that gave you more numbers flexibility. So let's say let's say you were at your twenty five man initial counter limit. Mm-hmm. Well, if you wanted to bring in this other guy, you could bring in a twenty sixth initial counter, but you'd be counting him forward because you didn't have him sign. He couldn't take an official visit. <laughs> that was another thing. He and was then, not a recruited student he was athlete. Not, he was not recruited, even though you recruited him, but he was not quote unquote recruited. He's coming in as a walk on, but then you put him on scholarship. Yeah, I see. Okay. Instantly. Now, what's the difference between that and a preferred walk-on? Well, preferred walk-on's not going on scholarship okay. at all. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so, that's, a lot, that's a lot of finagling. Yeah, and, and then the, the weird thing was, if you counted him forward, you tr- you truly had to count him forward. So, mm-hmm. next he was, class... He was already occupying a spot in the on next your next class. class yeah, guaranteed. next class, okay. you that were starting sense. off with 24. I see. Okay. But then you might count one of those forward... You just get a, in a cycle. and then, Yeah, and then it's just this. It's like deferring debt just further and further down the line, That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, national debt of LA Dodgers. Counters. Um, But, yeah, so, look, I mean, I guess I don't feel like there would be, maybe I'm missing something. I don't think there would be a scenario anymore because they, sco- they still count on your 85. Right. So, probably not many blue shirt scenarios left, honestly. Okay. Yeah, and that's, I, I wonder where have y'all Wes, have you happened to track this? Like, where is South Carolina in terms of the number of new players they're bringing in? That number is now at thirty-one between freshmen, junior college players, and transfers. And a, a big chunk of that is on campus now, or arriving this week. Like Amari Huggins, Bruce, for instance, getting to campus tomorrow. But a bunch of the transfers and and early enrollees from the high school class are getting here there'll be a few that are this summer or later this week wonder how high that that number is or where it compares to like i don't know the rest of the sec it's not colorado who had like 80 players but this is a i mean south carolina obviously had a pretty high number of defections a lot of them in that healthy transfer category that wes has coined um but you know a pretty sizable class in terms of a 31. You know, back in the day, if you, you remember under Houston Nutt, Ole Miss would oversign and take like 59 guys in a class, but then you would have to do all these shenanigans, basically. You know, some of them were sign in place, some of them were juke, whatever. Nowadays, I mean, th- these 31 players, like, are going to be on the roster, mm-hmm. which is, for South Carolina, a really good thing. And And so back in the day, you also had this time period where – a guy would sign, but they wouldn't count towards the 25 
unless what was it? it they didn't count towards 25 until they actually enrolled so you would have people trying to do the well we could sign 28 because these three don't project to to make it academically that's right you just sign them anyway yeah and then your your early enrollees if you had room in the previous class you could actually count them back but that was only if there was room <laughs> you know it it was god it was crazy it looks like the numbers are pretty high everywhere. So Alabama right now has 30. And when I'm when I'm giving these numbers, I'm counting high school and JUCO recruiting plus transfers. Alabama's transfer number is actually a lot lower. They have three transfers, <laughs> 27 commits. Right. Auburn, uh, they're at 28. Arkansas, they're at 30. Georgia has... 34. Now, is that – are you counting only new guys in, or is that accounting for the guys that left as well? This I'm talking about new guys coming in. Okay. Yeah. So commits commits, and then transfers. Um, not not counting guys out, of course. So I'm trying to see. You so said there, there's just there's just more – there's just more turnover. Now. More roster turnover. Yeah, there's more roster turnover every year. That That's here to stay unless yeah. they tweak the rules. So, so you said Georgia had 34 coming in, which counted transfers. They had 24 or 21 go out in the transfer portal. So that's a what net gain of 13. I think that's up in South Carolina. But you got to factor in seniors leaving too. Yeah, that's also true. Okay, so we get so caught up in the portal, how many? But there is still the traditional. They've moved on because they're out of eligibility or going to the NFL, versus how many high school guys. Nobody runs out of eligibility in. anymore. Got seventh-year seniors. Got ninth-year seniors. And right now, guys, you know, let's let's actually attempt to answer the question of the scholarship limit. Brian Shoemaker's handy-dandy scholarship breakdown. I'll have to double-check to make sure this is the most updated, but he does a good job of keeping it updated. Right now, South Carolina would project to be one over the 85. And that's counting everybody that it, even if they're not here yet, like everybody that's even verbally committed from the 2024 class and or on campus, plus all the returners, they would actually be at 86 overall. So plenty of time, of course, to adjust that. However, that ends up happening, and they do. They'll need some extra flexibility because, as Wes said, they're going to bring in another, you know, two, three guys from the transfer portal, most likely. Likely lose another handful of guys after spring as yes, well. So, yes, we'll probably see it's that. A, it's a balance of everything. It's 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 chess. It's maneuvering pieces all around. For sure. I wonder, I mean, also you, you kind of wonder, are there any guys on the roster that aren't leaving by hitting the portal but just are upperclassmen? And it, it seems like there's always a chance you have a guy or two who's like dealt with injuries and just kind of um, it ends up leaving or ends up giving up football as well. You know, not speculating on anybody in particular, but I feel like that's always a possibility. When when you're looking at the roster right now, like Chris said, this is including everybody right now. So could there be a guy or two who is we're currently including on our roster that internally will not be on the roster? I, I think that's a possibility as well. That's something you see all the time, you know, medical situations, unexpected. I mean, there are some transfers this offseason 
during the first transfer portal window that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere, so, so to speak. And there'll probably be a combination of those in spring with, okay, that makes sense. or may, There might be one or two that you say, well, that's kind of surprising, but that's, that's kind of par for the course now. So that'll be a lingering question that continues through this offseason of who else South Carolina is going to bring in in the transfer portal. One big question, of course, is who is going to be the next running back coach as we are now a few days removed from Ontario Hardesty being relieved of that duty. We'll see uh, who the, the latest uh, projections are for that job and where that stands right now with South Carolina. Coming up, it's Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. But before we hit the break, as always, I think our friends over at Firehouse Subs is, I know it's rainy, but... Still get out and enjoy your sub of the day for Tuesday, which can, I believe is my favorite. It is your favorite. It's the Turkey Bacon Ranch. You can get it all across the state, and you can get it at 14 Midlands locations of Firehouse Subs as well. Shout out to our guy, Larry Chandler, presenting sponsor here of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Bunch of ways you can get Firehouse Subs. If you go to firehousesubs.com, you can find the closest location near you pretty easily, and then you can use your Rapid Rescue to order. They've got all sorts of stuff going on. They've still got their uh, pulled pork sandwich that you can check out, the limited time offering for early in 2024. That is still around or any of your Firehouse Subs favorites. Firehousesubs.com. You can also use the Firehouse Subs app. So it is waiting on you when you get in the store or you can go to the store and get the sub of the day. There's one for each day of the week. And as Tyler said, today, the Turkey Bacon Ranch. Check it out, Firehousesubs.com. The latest on the running back coaching search. Coming up, Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game, the 107.5 The Game app, streaming live on the Game TV. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Head, West Mitchell, Chris Clark, along with you on this Tuesday morning. Again, last week we learned that Montero Hardesty would no longer be the running backs coach here at South Carolina. And uh, when you think about coaching searches, no matter what position it is, whether it be head coach or coordinator, whatever it may be, typically in college these Things go by pretty quickly. What is the idealistic timetable for when South Carolina might finally be making a decision on who the new running backs coach might be? Yeah, I mean, I think ideally today is always better than tomorrow if you have your guy, right? Like, I, I think we, we've seen so far when Shane Beamer has made coaching hires, it, it's been very deliberate and it's not been rushed. And, you know, I, I think you can even go back to when he was hiring his initial staff, just kind of the, the little bit of frustration and sort of fan base being on edge, waiting to see who was going to be hired, waiting to see what was next. And Beamer just said, look, I'm, I'm doing this on my own timeline. And I think that's what we're seeing right now as well. It, you could clearly tell that getting into the transfer portal and setting themselves up for success in terms of that was the priority coming out of the end of the season to the extent that this coaching change wasn't even made until after that. So I I think, guys, I think there's been a lot of sort of internal scouting, not necessarily in terms of like literally on-field scouting, but just how are we doing things? what can stay the same, what needs to be tweaked, and what needs to be changed completely. So I think that was a priority right at the end of the season. We saw the move in terms of, you know, getting rid of Monterey Hardesty. Now they've been in the process of of doing this. I I would think, Chris, that also the fact that you have the big coaching convention 
this week as well. Mm-hmm. Excellent time to get in interviews. Excellent time for your current staff to talk to other people. Like I, th- this is generally when you're going to see more movement in the the coaching community. Kind of other than that sort of wave that you have right at the end of the season, and then that wave you have, frankly, after the portal closes. Well, and there are some reasons I think that um, the delay in coaching changes and hearing about new coaches, um, it caused some anxiety, I think, for South Carolina fans, for some, for a segment of the fan base. And that was understandable, right? Because you go through a five and seven season, when that happens, you naturally go to, and it's fair, all right, well, how, how are we going to make this thing better, you know? And part of that is players and recruiting. That's why people follow recruiting and the transfer portal so closely. You can improve your roster even more quickly now if you do it the right way. Uh, but that also goes down to, you know, coaching and, and development. And so I think it's difficult for some people when you look around and, like, like let's say you're, you're in-state rival, right? They go through a year that wasn't as tough as South Carolina's but wasn't up to what they wanted, and they pretty quickly make a couple changes. You know, they dismiss a couple coaches part ways, however they classified it, and then you pretty quickly turn around and hire a couple coaches. And then that timeline passes, and then you see, oh, Brian Kelly, uh, a couple days after their bowl game, he fired his old defensive staff. What's going on here? Why haven't we seen anything? Does the, This must mean Beamer's keeping things status quo. And whether or not you agree with that timeline, if you kind of dig in, there's some things about it that make sense. And so, like, like you said, Wes, and Beamer said this during his signing day press conference back on December 20th, you know, just assessing all of those different things. And there are some kind of key dates that we've seen, and some of them have come and gone. And you had early signing day, right? That was one. You had the transfer portal window closing. You've got guys getting on campus who you signed to start class. And then you have this coaching convention, which is, as Wes said, that's a time where you typically see a lot of movement across college football just because there are some coaching changes right after the season, whether at, at other places, doesn't mean they all had to happen at South Carolina. Um, you got one position you're looking to fill. And there could be more movement, too, in, in the next few days. Coaching convention is sort of everybody, I would say almost everybody in the coaching community gets together under the guise of going to a couple of um, presentations. <laughs> and then they maybe go hang out, have a steak, have some beverages, and catch up. And... There's a lot of, hey, would you be interested in here? Would you be interested in there? Hey, man, I heard this spot's about to open. Lots of networking going on at the coaching convention. And we know a lot of times when it comes to coaching hires, it is a relationship-based business to where, you know, when a coaching position comes open, people immediately point and say, hey, well, Beamer was at this place with this guy, or he was at this place with this guy, or this guy, obviously former, you know, South Carolina, whatever it may be. Like, that's what people point to initially, and there's a lot of merit to that because that is how a lot of these decisions are ultimately made. You mentioned him building 
his coaching staff um, when he first got here, and those are a lot of connections to previous places that he had been before as well. So, um, you know, uh, again, the, the, there's the names that pop up on the list, the Jimmy Smiths that obviously people are going to, you know, point to as being, you know, obvious, hey, this guy should be the one that should come in here. But, um, you know, we'll see what comes away from this weekend and um, what, what are those, you know, future or previous connections that, uh, you know, Beamer has to potentially take it a spot. Yeah, something else to add. Guys, I would say Beamer keeps things pretty close to the vest when it comes to coaching hires. And, you know, I, I've been hesitant on Gamecock Central for us to try to put together any type of – or to actually put out kind of a running back board because I, I feel heavily that the we, – we've mentioned what, Chris, three names to our subscribers? Yes. And – I feel very comfortable that those three names are at least in the conversation, but you don't want to put out a board and then the higher not be on your list. So I, I don't feel comfortable at all that that's some comprehensive list. Matter of fact, I would almost guarantee it's not. We, we've heard three other names other than the three we've said that have at least kind of been thrown out, but we've not been able to kind of confirm whether it's legit or not. I'll ask this. Was Dow Loggins on y'all's initial radar for the OC job 13 months ago? Uh, well, sure. I was on my honeymoon, so okay. Chris was the one. Yeah, I was sick that week. It was not a fun week. Um, Wes was, like, riding ATVs in the he didn't have a care in the, in world. the wilderness. Um, in Aruba. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how that one went. Yeah, I mean, it might not have come up immediately, but it, it did come up. Like, when he was hired, we knew he was going to be the hire. It wasn't well, yeah, like, oh, yeah. this, oh, who's that? I, I'll, I'll tell you, I was actually reading the coverage. Um, Uh-oh. And, uh, Hope you didn't get in trouble for that. <laughs> I probably did. But from what I remember, he was not, like, one of the first names. Yes. Like, he was not the Jimmy Smith of yeah, this. Yeah. Jimmy Smith is the first there, name that's popped there, up. There was no direct connection to Dow Loggins in South Carolina. and But I, I believe his name came up fairly quickly. And then when it did come up, it started to – it kind of reminded – it actually reminded me a little bit of when South Carolina hired Bobo. Because his name came up, and we were like, all right, is this real? Is this, like – is he a real candidate or he's just in it? And then you started hearing more and more. You're like, wait, they're going to hire Bobo. Yeah. Like, this is happening. Happening. I feel like with, with Loggins, once his name started coming up, it very quickly turned into, like, he he's the favorite. And, you know, for me, with this running back job, we didn't know the answer to this at first. But I know, Wes, you and I talked about this. It was – we were wondering, is this going to be a very quick turnaround type of situation? Because – we saw that with Travian Robertson. Jimmy Lindsay leaves for LSU, and Beamer even admitted later, I talked to one person about this job. And we had even heard some names, like a maybe I feel like one or two others that you're like, that guy might be in the mix. But it was a quick process. It was painless. It was, hey, I want to hire Travian Robertson. I'm going to go hire Travian Robertson. And I wondered, because of Jimmy Smith's connections to Dowell Loggins and being on staff together at Arkansas, being a South Carolina guy, having Coach Rocket Sanders, who's coming in, you kind of wonder, okay, is this going to be a 48-hour process and he's the next guy? It has not been that. That does not mean Jimmy Smith won't ultimately be the hire, right? From from what I have gathered, even continuing into this morning, it seems like Beamer's just continuing to go through this process. He might ultimately land on Jimmy Smith. He might not. 
we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, and I, I think the timing of the Travian hire, too, you got to factor in the timing of, of, of uh, Jimmy Lindsay leaving. Yep. It was, it was kind of a weird, you know, it, it made sense to go ahead and get somebody in. Right now, yeah, you'd like to get the next guy in because you're starting classes and all that, but there's not a true just huge push to have to make a move right this second. And I, it seems like rather than just hire, oh, that guy makes sense, this has been a due diligence hire. Like they are actually interviewing multiple guys. Keep an eye on that and see what uh, Beamer and company ultimately decided to do for the running back coach and uh, filling Ontario Hardesty's vacated role. Coming up, we'll get uh, Wes Mitchell's thoughts on what happened last night in the National Championship game and you know, reflect on what is truly the end of an era in college football as we get set to go into a new era in 2024. That's coming up. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game, the 107.5 The Game app, and streaming live on The Game TV. He's got it. Michigan barrels in. And the maze in blue on the brink of ending a championship drought. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Head, Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark along with you on your Tuesday. That was a call last night. Chris Fowler on ESPN. Blake Corum touchdown that essentially sealed things for Michigan in the last couple of minutes. Their 34-13 win over the Washington Huskies in the college football playoff. National championship uh, as Wes feared yesterday. We all three picked Washington and, well, it didn't go so well last night. We let our hearts get the better of our heads. And I tell you what, man, when you go into these games like this, no matter how much you want to wish that you're going to see that sort of transcendent performance and that, hey, this quarterback is going to lead them to this, uh, I would say, like Vince Young moment. Sure. Hashtag trenches as South Carolina <laughs> likes to tweet every time they get a, an interior guy or an, an uh, offensive lineman, I should say. That that was the difference to me is just Michigan was better up front. Even a Washington offensive line that has been really good this year, as the game wore on and it became more and more clear that Washington was going to have to throw, Michigan just pinned their ears back. You saw Penix um, getting hit, getting rushed getting flustered missing some throws he normally makes because of that rush and you know I I thought it just didn't they never could quite get going on offense because of what Michigan did both up front defensively and then Michigan especially the Washington cleaned it up a little bit but the first quarter when Michigan was just I mean breaking off multiple 40-yard runs (laughs) it you know that that was the difference in the game that um, the two runs that Donovan Edwards had for touchdowns, I think we could have driven buses through some of those holes. That was the the difference was clear. And yes, like you said, Washington cleaned it up as the game went along, but but that really put them behind the eight ball there. And you know, the game was still one score until the last seven and a half minutes, so there was still that chance that Washington could put something together. But I think the most telling stat coming away from the game is on deep throws. Um, Penix was one of eight. He found a Dunze late in the game, that 44-yard gain. But, you know, that's what they predicated themselves so much on that offense this year is those big explosive plays. They were the third-best explosive play offense in the nation. And Michigan, like they did against Alabama last week, just took that away from them. Yeah, and and also I think, though, Washington missed a couple of those, too. You had... Because um, that pressure was getting yeah. to him where he couldn't sit back there and, you know comfortably get those throws off you you had the you had the deep ball that hit but got wiped out by hold and then um 
you, you had the one where the Washington receiver was wide open on fourth down and, and kind of that, – that's a play you look at it and everybody says, what is Penix doing? But the receiver kind of didn't adjust his route to the spot that Penix thought he was. And, and actually, you know, for what I saw post game, um, you know, the receiver took credit for, for that mistake. But I thought it was a key example again – pressure stacks and as the game went on that pressure continued to stack on him you could tell he wasn't quite 100 percent by the end of the game um you know the way his his leg and ankle got rolled up on that one hit looked pretty dangerous especially for a guy who's had a bunch of injuries in his career and then honestly i i got all the respect in the world for dylan johnson but him not being a hundred percent and uh you know just not being there were some plays that were blocked up fairly well in the running game. And I, th- I think it was Kirk that mentioned this. Their timing on some of these sort of outside runs was just, a, I mean, a split second off. And I don't know if it was Dylan Johnson's injury, if it was the fact that Michigan was sort of closing up these holes quickly. Probably a combination of both those things. But Dylan Johnson just didn't quite have that explosiveness that he normally does and I thought that was huge you look at the difference when Michigan had a big hole I mean their guys are exploding through it and creating huge runs and then getting you know making guys miss down the field for Washington those explosive running plays were just not there I think it you know look Kalen DeBoer has done a great job in his first two years there at Washington getting to the national championship game with you know a, a roster that's on paper, not as talented as a lot of the others around the country, certainly, you know, the ones that are in contention for the college football playoff on a year-in-year-out basis, and I think they're going to be fine going forward, but I think last night is going to certainly serve as a bit of a wake-up call, like, hey, we're about to go into the Big Ten where there are a lot of teams that play football just like Michigan does, and we're going to need to do a lot of things differently, not only this offseason, but in the next couple of recruiting classes to get ourselves to this level who want to get back to this uh, kind of game again. Well, you have to replace your star quarterback, too. As well as all those wide receivers. There's a lot of talent that's leaving um, you know, Washington after this year. So I would expect a dip, but again, credit to Kalen DeBoer. I think he can get him back, but just kind of needs to adjust uh, you know, what they get in talent-wise for uh, a new conference next year. Yeah, I think the, the crazy thing was the amount of success Michigan had up front when you consider Washington was actually really good, at least on their offensive front, for, for most of the year. And so I think that kind of speaks to to what Michigan has up front on both sides of the ball, frankly. But that that was the difference. I mean, it wasn't really that that quarterback play on the Michigan side was all that good either. But I, I the, the more ball you watch, the more it kind of seems like we talked about something with South Carolina all this year. Make it matter that you have Spencer Rattler. And for South Carolina and really for, for any team that goes into a game – where you feel like you have the better quarterback, but you don't have, you know, trench play that can match up with your opponent, then ultimately when the, the trenches take over, it really doesn't matter that you have a star quarterback. I felt like the way for Washington to win the game was to hang around just enough that Penix could have, like, one of those just all-time moments and drive them down and win. There were a couple of opportunities sort of early fourth quarter where you thought, all right, if they if they can get one drive here, you could have a special moment. But the deep throw that was hit but then erased by that hold on the right tackle, 
to me that 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 just that didn't end the game, but it it made it very very difficult from that point forward. Yeah, I think I kept waiting on Penix to make because as poorly as they played, as badly as they got run over by Michigan's run game in that first quarter specifically. And again, I think what two hundred nine rushing yards for Michigan at halftime. Tyler, you pointed out most of those in the first quarter. They're still in this thing until late, and you kept waiting for that moment from Penix because he's done it time and time again. He's been so good in almost every game. Like, he had, he had the poor game against Arizona State this year, but most of the time he's risen to the occasion. He's been very, very accurate. they got really good receivers, and, yeah, he was banged up, and so was Dylan Johnson. And I, I brought up earlier the example of they had – I think they ended up scoring on the fourth down – but they had a little pitch play to Dylan Johnson that looked well blocked. It looked like he'd probably be able to get around and score. And a combination of Dylan Johnson not being 100% and Michigan just kind of blowing up a block on the outside and playing it very well, they were able to shut down some plays like that that, Mich- that Washington's typically made. If you look at Penix, too, I mean, I was going up and down just, just as a point of reference as PFF grades for this year. He's had multiple – he had three games in a row where he was above a 90 in PFF grades. This was his lowest of the year aside from the Arizona State game. He was a 49 this game. And so, you know, you got to give Michigan a ton of credit because they were able to – just like they did with Alabama, they were able to affect the quarterback pretty consistently against a really good O-line. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see because, you know, Penix was obviously high on a lot of people's draft boards and what's going to be a very quarterback-heavy class. You know, how that game last night against, you know, what you would akin to an NFL style of defense in Michigan um, can affect how people kind of look at him at the next level as well. Yeah, it me personally, it didn't change my opinion of him a whole lot because I, I think pretty much any quarterback, if if you see that level of pressure, it, it's going to be tough to do anything. But But, yeah, when you're talking about just – Having so many talented quarterbacks in this class, it's gonna it's gonna be razor thin as far as who you select over somebody else. So it could certainly have an effect. And I I thought we we saw a little bit of this. I thought with Dylan Johnson not being himself, maybe final game of the year, you should have run Penix even more mm-hmm. on some design stuff. I know because of the injuries he's had in his career, they didn't really seem to want to run him much this season. But I thought maybe knowing that you didn't have a healthy Johnson and that there's a big drop-off from Dylan Johnson to your next running backs, that that might be something they looked a little bit more into. Absolutely. Michigan National Champions of the 2023 college football season will come back and wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs, Wes and Chris's job taking on a little bit of a spotlight in Hollywood. Talk about that coming up here on the... Welcome back in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Tyler Head, West Mitchell, Chris Clark, along with you for a few more minutes here on your Tuesday morning. Stay safe out there. Sounds like the weather's starting to pick up a little bit. Do have some bad storms that are going to be coming through a little bit later on this afternoon. Have a lot of counties around here currently under a uh, a tornado watch, including uh, Lexington and Richland counties. Keep an eye out for that as the uh, day goes along. You guys have very interesting jobs covering the world of recruiting, which in and of itself is is chaotic. Have you ever at any point stopped and thought, you know, they should really make a movie about all this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're in luck. I wish we were involved. You're in <laughs> that luck. That would be pretty cool. Because Signing Day is literally a movie about college recruiting. Would you like to hear the synopsis? Day in the life of Chris Clark. 
Yes, it's the Wes and Chris story. Um, Walt McFadden is a talented football coach, but he's no good at the politics that rule today's game. Buried at the bottom of the Louisiana University staff and almost fired for failing to sign one of last year's top prospects, he gets a second chance when he is sent to rural Alabama with a bag full of cash and instructions (laughs) to do whatever it takes to sign the nation's top defensive end, Tony Raymond. uh, promised a promotion if he succeeds Walt hits the road and soon finds himself having to outflank rival recruiters grifting townsfolks and Tony's own dysfunctional family very mad I didn't write this screenplay and sell it to yes to Hollywood very jealous oh man it sounds like it's gonna be awful you think so yes I think it's going to be corny. Now, I I mentioned in the break because I didn't know anything about this Chris mentioned it earlier and I looked it up they're filming this in my hometown Covington, Georgia? Yeah, Covington, Georgia. Hollywood of the South, baby. Um, I could pull some strings, see if we can get you guys a cameo. Please. I yeah. Mean, I, yes. Yeah, like, I just want to, uh, like, have Tony Raymond, this defensive end, like, the, like have a little media scrum after practice, and Wes and I will bring our record, like, our phone, and do a little interview with him. Or, no, we're, we're the ones blowing up the defensive end. He's getting interviews with him. Yeah. About his visits. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, now I think, so I was talking with my wife about this last night. The, the way that we found out about this full context, one of the actors in it is Chip Esten, Charles Esten. He's Outer Banks. Okay. Nashville. He's the country one of Chris's good friends. I see. <laughs> We're buddies. He's in the, I don't know, I don't know which character hmm. he is actually. All I have is a synopsis. We don't have a full but rundown of this When does this come yet. out? Oh, that's a good question. It comes out in the fall of 2024 in time for football season. Okay. So yep. it's already in production. By the way, also Marshawn Lynch is going to be in it. The Boz, Brian Bosworth, um, and some other names. So you might what, know. does this exist in the same universe as Fansville? Then, <laughs> if the Boz is in it, it might. I don't know. I don't know. But Which, but I, you know, I do think. I think it would be. I, I'm with you, Wes. I'm, I'm hoping it's not super corny. But there's some potential. It's going to be bad. It's being called a dramatic comedy, a dramcom. Oh, so no. You guys, right. you guys no. are going to watch this right. movie. It's going to be, be so you're bad. You're going to be picking it apart. Like, well, that's not how that goes. Yes. Well, uh, uh, it's it, be it, so bad. An insider wouldn't do that. Like, you guys going to pick this but, thing but apart. But what, what if it's, it's kind of like the blind side? You know? Like, it's a different story. Well, <laughs> apparently... Apparently, the blind side was not. Well, I just mean just the movie, just yeah. the entertainment. We value. now know the blind side was maybe not all that it was cracked up to be. It's still a good movie. Right. So, it, yeah, no, you walk away from that saying, hey, that was a pretty good movie. Maybe, maybe that's this. I think you might just have to, the, what, the, the suspension of disbelief, where you just have to, like, turn your brain off and just enjoy it for what it is. Oh, yes. I mean, th- there'll be a little bit of, like you said, like, oh, that's not. But, I mean, the. The whole era that we're in in college football is kind of hard to believe as that's it true. is. We're in a little bit of a... Yeah. Th- there'll probably be some things in there where some say, well, that's not true. And you're like, actually, <laughs> actually I can tell you exactly an exact example I, of when that happened. I, Chris is excited about this movie. I can, I tell. can tell. He's ready for it. Oh, well, no, I mean, Opening I'm, day. I'm a little... Ju- I mean, I, I want to be a part of it. I want I want my cameo or I, I want to be like a consultant. <laughs> I, I want... I want for own three rankings to be yes like the in this and the and the new video like game. like when somebody goes on the laptop oh let's see the top like it's on three yes. stuff like, yes yeah that's um, good by the way I I sometimes compartmentalize things in my head when I like save them to the hard drive up here 
And um, I did want to mention, so yes, Washington is losing Penix, but they do have Will Rogers coming in. That, I had yes, completely yes. forgotten that, that when I mentioned Washington earlier. That is true, and he was he was on the sidelines last night, like obviously not dressed out. It, it's very rare um, to see somebody within the same season be on the sidelines for their new team. That's something that doesn't happen a lot. I feel like we're starting to see it more. There was another game. Wasn't... Um, Never mind, I don't remember who it was. There was another game. It might have been yeah. Syracuse. Okay. Um was uh was it McCord? Was I think McCord was on the sideline. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Crazy. New era of college football coming on uh, on the way in twenty twenty four. And hey, there'll be a movie about it too. That'll be uh, it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Halftime show with myself and Terry Ford coming up right here on the game, the 1075 the game app, and streaming live on the game TV. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.